Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey there, Doug Mellard. Hey, Doug Benson. (laughs) What's that character? I don't know, but some sort of weird Muppet. Yeah. Hey, Doug Benson. (laughs) Hey, Doug Benson. (laughs) I'm excited for two reasons. Which one would you like to hear first? Oh, God, pressure two. Let's go two. (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, We... You and I are doing a live Wired World of Dugs at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, next Tuesday, March 15th at 6 p.m. at Esther's downtown next to the Velveeta Room. I feel like people uh, without a festival badge will be able to get in because there's so much going on at South by Southwest that I think there'll be uh, seats open and they'll just be like, yeah, come on in. Yeah, it's chaos. And if, your name's, and if your name's Doug and you're listening to this and you're anywhere near Austin, by all means, show up and say, Doug Benson said Doug's get in for free. And then Doug Mellard and I are going to laugh. <laughs> it would suck if they turned somebody away. <laughs> Be the first Doug to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that is, it hasn't happened yet. I keep t- uh, hoping that there'll be some Doug out there that actually would want to come see us uh, for free. Um, and then our number two, my number two thing that I wanted to say to you, but it was number one because you asked for two first, <laughs> is that uh, our guest today is one of my heroes. I grew up watching Mr. Leonard Malton review movies on television and in books. And we played a game on Douglas movies that I used to play with my friends that we called the Leonard Malton game. And, uh, and then, you know, he reached out uh, when he, you know, heard that I was playing the game with his name in it and said, uh, cease and desist. No, he reached out <laughs> and said, uh, you know, Hey, I, I'd like to be on that show. And he's been a regular guest on Douglas movies ever since. And, uh, cool. uh, friends with this whole family and everything. Like it's really, uh, one of those things. It's just, just I'm wild. Excited. I'm excited. I've never been on, uh, the podcast when he's on. So this is great. Oh, this is perfect. That way we don't ever have to have you on. When he's on. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he's, uh, I consider him, I mean, all the guests we have on the show have been friends and I consider him a friend as much as Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi can be friends because <laughs> to me, this, this guy is the master and I am merely his student and I'm excited to go to work. Hello, Leonard Moulton. Well, hello, Doug Benson. How are you? <laughs> well, I am. Uh, I'm pretty good, actually. Well, that's good. Um, also joining me as co-host on this podcast, you've done Doug Loves Movies many times. Uh, but on this show, my co-host is Doug Mellard. Hello. This is, voice. <laughs> this is exciting because uh, we finally get to reveal that it's Leonard doing the vocals in our song. That's not true, but I love it. 
<laughs> that's uh, that's my that's how good I am at improvising. I just nope, and uh, but that was funny. Um, yeah. Uh, did you like the theme song, Leonard? Let's go ahead and rev- you should start reviewing the podcast. <laughs> uh, well, uh, it, it's the it's the best theme song I've heard today. All right, so uh, somebody rolled out of bed pretty late because how can you go through the whole morning without hearing any theme songs? Like, don't you watch TV? Uh, yes, but I, I, I channel surf, so I come in in the middle of things. Yeah, right. You don't catch the beginning. But mm-hmm. now, if you notice this weird, uh, I guess like three movies lately have played this game of being deep into the movie and then the opening title sequence uh, starts. Uh, that hasn't happened that often in, in your career as a film critic, the, the, the late arrival of the opening credits. Well, it used to be a trend. I mean, there was actually a trend uh, when I was growing up uh, some decades ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it became all the rage and it became uh, a trend that included TV episodes. I mean, I don't mean like big event TV episodes. I mean, like ordinary TV episodes, like an episode of Dennis the Menace, uh, where they would <laughs> start cold with a scene from the show and then at a certain point bring in the main titles. And with movies, they sort of, I don't know if it was a, 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 a competition exactly, but it was almost a, a contest to see who dared tease the audience the longest before revealing the title. Whoa. I think uh, to this day, it might be the winner still might be raising Arizona. Cause I think it's like 18 minutes in when the, uh, when it finally says raising Arizona on the screen. Yes. And, th- and, and of course, then there are some movies that never have a main title till the end. Well, that's the other thing that's really changed the game is that's why it's kind of nostalgia, you know, it's kind of a nostalgia play now, I think, to have the late credits because the credits are so late, they don't even happen uh, anywhere in the movie on, on a lot of movies these days. And then they have a very elaborate, like I've noticed this, especially with like Disney and Pixar and Marvel, like they'll have very elaborate, elaborate sequence that is basically the opening titles, but it happens in, right at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I love those. So I watch them, but it's weird to watch them, you know, at the end of the movie instead of the beginning. But I get that modern society can't sit through a little animated cartoon and a bunch of names before they get to. No, no, you no. Know, you, 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 you risk losing them entirely, Doug. Don't you understand <laughs> the peril yeah. as a filmmaker of having an audience <laughs> get bored in the first 40 seconds of film. <laughs> Doesn't it drive you crazy, Leonard, the way the streaming services just try to dump out? They try to get you to move on to something else else the second the end titles start to roll on anything? I've held my fire stick, my Amazon fire stick in my hand, thumb <laughs> at the ready to click the watch credits option, and they never let me watch the credits. No, you can't. You can't press it fast enough. It's like a, nope. it's a video game or Jeopardy or something where you don't buzz <laughs> in in time. Nope, you don't get to see the credits because then if you go, well, you know what? I'll enter back into the movie where where I was when they kicked me out. And nope, they put you right back at the beginning of the movie. It's or sometimes, yeah. sometimes a show will have like an extra scene at the end, and it'll just cut off in the middle of the extra scene, so you don't even get to watch it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's really silly. No respect. Yeah. There's no respect. And, and, and Bob, I mean, no respect for the people who made the show or movie you're watching and really no respect for the viewer. Right. Are you? I know, I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm not the average guy. I actually am interested in the credits. So that makes me kind of a freak. But uh, but I am interested and uh, I ought to have the ability to watch them. Yeah. And it's also the the mood, you know, like there's always, uh, you know, there's sometimes it's just a bunch of words scrolling in silence. But even then, sometimes it's because you need that silence at that time. Like, it's just uh, I just love uh, staying through the end credits, even if I get even if I lose interest in them and like start looking at my phone or something, though, I still feel like I want to just, you know, be there till the end. And of course, now these, you know, Marvel movies and everybody else, it seems are really going crazy with the the 
you know, the post title scene. At the very least, it, it, it kind of obliges mm-hmm. <laughs> the audience to sit there and, and, and get through the credits, if, even if they're not speed reading the names. Yeah. But can you imagine? It's such a, it's so funny. Cause it's like, like with this new, the Batman, the, the end credits, I'll save everybody some trouble. Don't sit through them. I'll tell you what happens after the end credits. There isn't a scene. There's just like uh, the word goodbye appears on the screen then a question mark. <laughs> And then a website you should go to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I don't feel bad telling people that because it's like 10 or 15 minutes of credits at the end of a three hour movie. And uh, it's just, it gets, it's getting a little silly how people are sitting dutifully through the credits when they don't want to. Well, it was already a three hour <laughs> movie. So good yeah. Lord. But you yeah. know what? I, I'm pretty disappointed. I, I would have been really excited to see that website at the end. So thanks for blowing it. <laughs> it's like it's some word they bring up during the movie that's it's like a a, a mal alamada or something like that and it's the idea is that they want to get people hooked on like i'm sure wherever you the site you go to has more riddles from uh the riddler that you know they want people to try to solve and get more it's all about engagement now you know it's all about getting people or they're to, trying to sell you a lunchbox yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I oh, tell man. my students, uh, I, I, I teach this class and have for many years at USC in which we show films and we have a very nice theater. Uh, and Doug, you've been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been there even, you were there even before I took over the class. Uh, but I, I tell my students, the movie isn't over till you've been threatened with civil or criminal prosecution. Yeah. And a nice message about how, uh, you know, how many people worked on the film and that, uh, yeah. you know, that uh, <laughs> stealing it is theft and uh, is hurting people. A, a friend of my a friend of mine was the primary producer of the wonderful movie Airplane. And this goes back. Uh, it, it's kind of daunting to realize, but it goes back 40 years to 1980, wow. 42 years now. Jeez. And. At the end of that block of copy about uh, this film is protected by copyright, blah, 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 blah. He added the word he and the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams added the words. So there. (laughs) And in those days, uh, those pre-digital days, they were still printing 35 millimeter, you know, prints at a laboratory. And my friend being no fool, even though he was a relative newcomer as a producer, he had them print the last reel first. They printed like 600 prints uh, for theaters of that last reel before the Paramount lawyers noticed the so there. And, and so it was too late to change it. They were really <laughs> pissed off at him, really, really <laughs> angry, because they feared that maybe the little joke might have negated the, you know, the, the legality of the, uh, the warning. Oh, which, wow. is, which is plainly dumb and and wrong so he got away with it yeah and there's just so many jokes in airplane that like they've been one by one you know picked at and stolen by people over the years because mm-hmm. it's just it's just such a clever movie and you know and it's just uh, so I, I there's so many things that they say in that movie that when they come up in real life i you know in my head or out loud finish the thought you know like yeah you know, when somebody says, surely you can't be serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's only one response in my mind. <laughs> when they made their next film together, Top Secret, uh, they couldn't do the so there again because, uh, you know, the lawyers, were, lawyers were paying attention. But they still wanted to get some jokes into the closing credit crawl. And the one I remember is a credit for Union Goon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they always were really all of their movies were uh, fun with the uh, just an occasional odd end credit uh, that, uh, you know, was just there to make people laugh to, to read the credits. Um, we're getting, you know, I, obviously we're going to talk about movies. It's it's just uh, it's what you do with Leonard Maltin. But we're already way off track here today because what we like to talk about, what the show is about is. Uh, names and how you know they affect our lives and in the case of Leonard Malton having known you as a esteemed 
critic first and then getting to know you like it just it feels right Leonard Maltin just feels like the name of that that you should have have you ever Mm -hmm. how have you always felt about like so let's start with the first name Leonard like is uh, what's your relationship with the name Leonard do you like it Uh, I've come to like it Uh, (laughs) it was it was a uh, a gesture toward a man who was sort of my adoptive uncle whose name was Leo. And so it's, you know, it's a variation on Leo. And uh, when I first uh, started writing articles, when I I was a precocious kid, started writing articles uh, when I was about 12, and I used the name Len. And my father uh, uh, said to me, no, you shouldn't do that. You should use your full name. If someone else wants to call you Len, that, that's, that's all right. But use your full name when you're doing something official like that. My mother, on the other hand, hated the nickname Lenny because it, 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 it associate, she associated that entirely with uh, uh, of mice and men. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and I can understand her, her, her weariness. Yeah, she's tired of telling Lenny about the rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so i've made my peace with with the name but you know you know what Doug? it's very strange to me uh in the past few years and i've never had this until just recently i get calls all the time from uh doctor's offices you know verifying an appointment or somebody verifying a, a restaurant reservation and they say, hello, may I speak to Leonard? <laughs> oh, my God. They are unfamiliar with the name Leonard. Right. I guess they're yeah. too young to have known Leonard Nimoy. You know, that's like one generation past. <laughs> but the main character on uh, Big Bang Theory was named Leonard. I thought that might help a little. But I guess these folks didn't watch that show. Or, you know, they just don't ever spell his name out loud because mm-hmm. uh, they're a bunch yes, of smart characters that wouldn't be spelling mm-hmm. their names for each other. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, there's a few of those, you know, like when I was a kid, there, some of those would throw me off, like like Michael, the A.E. and Michael, like you, you feel like you should uh, pronounce it, you know, or or this is a classic one uh, <laughs> is that for the longest time when I was a kid, when I'd see, when I'd see S E A N written down, it did, it wasn't Sean to me. It was, you know, I would just go, Oh, you know, scene, you know, I've seen Connery is in the new James Bond movie, you know, (laughs) took me a long time to, uh, you know, figure out that one. So I, I get the, and then also do people, I feel like we established early on that, you know, you're, you're not into anything other than you just prefer to be called Leonard. Like when somebody does call you Lenny or Len or, or, or even Leonardo, like, <laughs> is that you just always say it's, it's Leonard, right? I don't, I don't much bother. Uh, <laughs> you know, my daughter came to the conclusion, my daughter who, who was very verbal, very young, and would answer the phone <laughs> at an age before we really wanted her to. Uh, <laughs> if, if she picked up the phone and someone asked for Lenny, she, she knew that they were not really a friend of mine or one of two college friends who still call me that. Uh, so so she, she used it as a uh, device for winnowing out the, uh, the screwballs. Right. Yeah, that's – we – us Dougs do the same thing. Cause if, if, if somebody calls and says Douglas there, uh, I say, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm here, but, uh, you know, I want me to take a message for Douglas. <laughs> um, cause you know, we've, we've discussed before that like you, you only called when you're a Doug, you're called Douglas when like when you're in trouble, you know, oh, or, yes. Yes. or, or talking to a complete stranger who just calls you that. Cause that's what it says on, on the ID. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell us where you're at right now, Leonard? Physically or yeah, yeah, physically, <laughs> both. <laughs> yeah, physically, let's really get into I'm, it. I'm speaking to you from the, my home office. Oh, in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, okay. 
Um, cause yeah, I saw, uh, you know, we got to see a glimpse of it and it didn't seem like I, th- I had thought you were going to be in a, a hotel situation, uh, because, um, the Santa Barbara film festival is, uh, in person again this year. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, and, and I'm very glad of that. And to, uh, as we are speaking, uh, I'll be heading up after we, we finish the show. I'll be heading up there, my wife and I, uh, and tomorrow night I'm hosting one of their award ceremonies, which about six years ago, they renamed it after me. It used to be called the Modern Master Award, and now it's the <laughs> Molten Modern Master Award, which is very flattering, very sweet of them to have done that, because I've hosted yeah. it for like 30 and years. They and love, they love alliteration, too. Yes, that too. I'm a sucker for alliteration myself. If, if you came along with a name that began with any other letter, you couldn't give out the Modern <laughs> Master Award. <laughs> I never thought about that. Maybe it's not such a high compliment after all. Uh, oh, no, it's a high compliment that they were willing to bend, you know, to, to change it at all. But they do have different categories there of uh, big awards they like to give out. So yes. keep an eye out for other alliteration and the other ones. All right. See what they're up to. But so this year you're giving the award to uh, two people? To two people, co-stars of a film that most people seem to know exists called Being the Ricardos. And those people are Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem. Wow. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Nicole, I'll call her Nicole, uh, uh, fell and tore her hamstring. Ooh, which sounds what? incredibly painful. Yeah. And she is confined to bed at her home in Australia. Yikes. So she will be appearing via Zoom. Oh. And we've all come to know and love. Yeah. And um, uh, Senor Bardem will be there in person. And you know what? If the Zoom fails, just just get Penelope Cruz to come on out there. <laughs> <laughs> accept the award on Nicole's behalf. Um, but it's a really, it's a fun, big event. They do it in a big theater and you were kind enough to uh, allow, invite me and my girlfriend to attend the, the last one that happened before uh, the shutdown. And so uh, Doug Mellard, I probably bragged about this before, but he gave the award to Brad Pitt that night. Wow. And we hung out with Mr. Pitt backstage. And of course, I didn't say a word to him because I don't want to embarrass Leonard. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, it was amazing. And uh, I got to say this about Javier Bardem and especially with Nicole on the Zoom. I think you're going to have a blast. I think he's a really fun person. Uh, Yes. So I'm told. And I look forward to I've only met him in passing. uh, Yeah. At some awards gathering. And, and I'm an admirer of his. I mean, I, I like a lot of the films he's done. And uh, I think he's very versatile and, uh, and a really, really first-rate actor. And he's worked with great filmmakers, too. It's, it's, it's so wild to think. He's done so much and he's so versatile, like you were saying. But you always, I think everybody immediately goes to his character in No Country for Old Men. So to think about how fun he is is just a weird thought in my head. Well, yes, I I came in, uh, uh, speaking of channel surfing, about a a week and a half ago, my wife and I finished watching something or other on a Sunday night, and we were surfing, and we surfed by our public uh, television station, which was running a conversation that had been put on by Variety, uh, that is the uh, the show business uh, publication, where they had Daniel Craig and Javier Bardem talking to each other, interviewing each other, so to speak, on uh, on Zoom. And what really caught us unawares was that Daniel Craig was laughing like crazy. <laughs> and it occurred to me that I'd never seen that. <laughs> I've, I've barely seen him crack a smile right. on screen. And here he he and, and, and Javier apparently really enjoyed working together on that James Bond film. And uh, a nice relationship, a nice, and uh, they were having a great time chatting each other up. But you, you just don't get a, I don't get a visual picture right away of Daniel Craig throwing his head back and, and cackling. Right. 
He yeah, just, like maybe when he solves the murder at the end of Knives Out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's probably even just kind of a knowing smirk. Yeah. Yeah, he's and you know, and when he goes to the stage, he does very serious roles. And when oh yeah, he's he, about to do he's about to do Macbeth on Broadway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just <laughs> seems like no fun at all. And so I, I want to watch this interview and see Javier bringing the uh, the joy out of uh, you know because he he did five James Bond movies, and after each one, we sat around getting to hear about how he's not that really into it, doesn't want to do another one, thinking about quitting being James Bond. And uh, that just doesn't sound fun to me. Like, if you're going to be James Bond, you should love being James Bond. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> um, what about nicknames? Uh, Do you, I, never, you know, I never had a nickname. Uh, it's just a, a short declarative sentence. I never had a nickname. <laughs> All right. Well, can I run one by you? <laughs> sure. <laughs> or you know not so much okay let's go back to if you can if you don't mind like childhood taunts were you ever taunted by other kids with uh expressions that involve your oh name yeah the way yeah yeah, yeah. uh leonard malford milk that is almost what i was gonna say because because it's more of a movie theater treat i was gonna say uh malton milk balls uh, balls didn't enter the conversation when I was in grade school, but, uh, that's fair. That's fair. But malt and malted and malted milk. Yeah. Malted. <laughs> and, and Hey, stupid. When I, when I was <laughs> to play uh, team sports in school. <laughs> Wait, so you weren't necessarily bad at sports. You were just dumb at them. No, uh, stupid <laughs> was just an all purpose insult. Yeah, that's what they say when you drop the ball. But it's they, what they should say is clumsy, not stupid. Like, you're still probably pretty smart. You can be smart and drop a ball. Yeah, uh, that was a fi <laughs> the finer point of English uh, language that uh, they didn't uh, take interest in. And yeah. mal malted milkshake isn't a horrible insult. It's like, oh, you're a delicious treat. <laughs> That's all they would do is just take the, like there was a plane called the uh, Douglas DC nine or something like that, uh, a type of aircraft and people would say it, but they just say it was such just dripping with like, like somehow it's an insult. And it, you know, <laughs> so it would still, still hurt, you know, it's strange. It's a strange <laughs> bullying is so, so weird. I don't know how they, uh, is there a book they read to fit, to find out how to do it or just, they just do it. Um, what's your middle name, sir? Uh, I, I will tell you though. I never use it. Uh, it's Michael. The aforementioned, um, M A M I C A E L M I C H A E L. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just like did John Travolta film. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's you know you're given you're, there's there's the spelling challenges uh, just abound in your name because <laughs> you know because of the e a and the a e and then well Malton, I, and, and of course very few people I mean even more people than there are who don't know how to pronounce my first name here in the 21st century uh, uh, the pinnacle of American literacy. Uh, there are so many more people who can't spell it. L, they yeah. leave out the O, L-E-N-A-R-D, L-E. They know that there's a, a combination of, of consonants and vowels there, but so they try sometimes and they get L-E-N-O-A-R-D, very strange uh, variations on the, the, actual, the actual spelling. Do they ever put a U in Malton? That's been known to happen. Yeah. I was thinking today that one has pro that, that people have probably used every other vowel other than I at the end of Malton, because when you hear it said aloud, Hey, Leonard Malton's coming over. Oh, Malton's going to be here. That's great. Malton, 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 Malton. It, it, the T could be a N E N O N U N <laughs> could be any of them. All of that is true. Um, <laughs> I, um, there's a Malton airport in Toronto. There used to be O N and um, 
we were traveling, we were on a cruise that spent a day in, we had a day trip in Venezuela and, and there was a beer, I think, Malton beer. And so every now and then it, it, it does, every now and then it does come up. Yeah, I mean, when I people when people writing your name to me, they often like, you know, on Twitter or something saying, oh, it's great. You got Leonard Malton on the show. They just they botch it pretty, pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with uh, like my last name, Benson, it's like it's E.N. or O.N. Like there's no none of the other vowels get get involved. And Doug's last name is Mellard. So we try just not even say it or speak of it. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> it's not Mallard, which would be the greatest last name. Oh, yeah. Duck Mallard. Duck, so Duck Mallard is, would have been perfect. Well, what were your parents doing? They should have <laughs> named you Duck and changed their last name. <laughs> we do have um, words all over our house where we did growing up. You had, oh, ducks? Yeah, a lot of duck. A lot of people like to gift us ducks. I never got that. I never got the duck. Uh, people didn't jump to, to duck with my name ever. I don't think, but maybe, maybe they did. Anyway, um, we got to take a brief commercial break and we'll be back with more talk with Leonard Malton after this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. We're back, and um, we got through all of your name, Leonard. Mm-hmm. I think right. So this is so. the part. <laughs> this is the part where we talk about uh, Dougs that you've known. You know, uh, aside from myself and the other Doug you just met. Um, have there been any significant Dougs in your life? Gee. Um... You've caught me off guard here. The first thing that comes to mind is that I, I, my family used to watch Douglas Edwards and the news on CBS. He was the, uh, before Walter Cronkite, he was their star uh, uh, newscaster. Douglas Edwards? Douglas Edwards. Look him up. Yeah, it's vaguely familiar to me, but I guess he didn't, like Cronkite really, like as far as famous news broadcasters go, he really... He really uh, is up there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's so this guy was was a pretty uh, important guy. But still now in history, in the shadow of a wall. All right. All right. All right. He didn't. (laughs) I hate it when you guys fight. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm just joking around because, you know, that's what we talk about on the show is that, uh, you know, the name Doug doesn't isn't inspiring of confidence unless it's, you know, like Douglas MacArthur. Then you go, oh, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. Oh, well, of course, there was that there when when my daughter was was young, she watched that Nickelodeon cartoon. (laughs) Yeah, that comes up (laughs) a lot as an example of a Doug. And I don't relate to that character uh, at all. Mm-hmm. You, uh, couldn't, you couldn't really have a Douglas or a Doug newscaster unless 
maybe sports or weather you think oh yeah you definitely let's go to doug with the weather is makes sense you know yeah. <laughs> here's doug with breaking news it doesn't sounds like oh no what's, <laughs> what's doug gonna say <laughs> not Doug again um more bad news um what about I'm trying to think of any like so there was Douglas Fairbanks Jr. well it was Douglas Fairbanks Sr. and uh and then uh, his son who would who would change who achieved quite a lot actually given how, how incredibly famous his father was uh, uh you, you'd think that going into the movies with the with that uh, name would have been a handicap, but Doug Jr. escaped that by by being talented and being smart and charming, and and he made a lot of good. He's he's in some great movies. Like uh, if you're a fan of uh, classic films as I am, he's in Gunga Din uh, with uh, Cary Grant and Victor McLaglen, and he's in the, the great uh, variation, great great version of uh, Prisoner of Zenda with Ronald Coleman. Uh, he made a lot of good movies and his father was the, uh, the original movie swashbuckler and the Mark of Zorro, which was his first swashbuckling movie in 1920 is what uh, inspired uh, Batman. Oh, great. Whoa. And uh, that character with his, with Zorro and having a dual identity uh, as Don Diego. Wow. Like the the original character itself, I suppose. The character itself, yes. Wow, very but, cool. But it, but the the fellow Bob Kane who uh, got credit yeah. for creating Batman uh, uh, always told that story that it was after seeing uh, the Douglas Fairbanks movie, which was a huge hit, very very popular. That that's what inspired him. Wow. But yeah. I just learned a big thing uh, when you explain the difference between. Douglas Fairbanks senior and junior, because I've always thought of that as one entity. I always thought it was that the famous one, the original one was Douglas Fairbanks junior. I always throw the junior on there because I probably heard that name more in my youth. Cause Douglas Fairbanks senior was before my time. Yes. <laughs> well, mine so that's, that's good to know. <laughs> if you ever go to the if you ever go to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, uh, which at one time I had occasion to do on a regular basis, Entertainment Tonight went through a patch of, of, of doing a lot of stories there. Uh, there is a beautiful reflecting pool, uh, which is a memorial to Doug Senior, and uh, it's, it's very nice. I just threw that in because uh, I wouldn't be uh, <laughs> such an electrifying piece of information. <laughs> well, and also just anytime you could talk about the uh, Hollywood Forever uh, Cemetery, um, it's great to bring up because they show movies there in the you know the summertime. Yeah, um, and everybody just sits around this cemetery watching movies, and I I only went there once, and I never got completely comfortable with the concept. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not comfortable with that concept either. I know it's done, you know, uh, for fun. It's not, not, not <laughs> malicious or irreverent, but, uh, you know. But I went there so many times with, with a crew from Entertainment Tonight that I swear I heard a chorus of hellos when I walked in. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever had an opportunity to, I don't, I'm going to guess no before I even finish the question, but uh, have you ever met second gentleman, Douglas Emhoff? No, but he seems to be like, we decided he's the world's, uh, he's like the top Doug right now. I'll take your word for it. Being the first, being the first second gentleman of all time. But let me, <laughs> which brings me to this. Did you ever see that Fred McMurray movie? Of course you saw it. Um, what was it called? My president. Oh my, yeah. My, kisses, for, kisses for my president. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there's this movie, Doug, where, where Leonard and I are familiar with it and you're not. So we're going to tell you about it. It's, uh, <laughs> 
Fred McMurray plays a man whose wife becomes the first lady president, first woman president. What a preposterous idea. <laughs> right. So it's already like, isn't that nuts? And then the movie is about how he doesn't want to take on the duties of first lady. But the thing is, is they try to give him the duties that would go to the nor- to what would normally be the first lady, which, you know, would theoretically align with their interests, like decorating the White House. He's like, I don't want to decorate the White House. And they're like, yeah, but that's what you have to do. You're the first, you're the, you know, you're the first man. And, and he just... It's he just fights a laugh. Them. It's a laugh riot from start to finish. <laughs> That's what's really wild about it is how like you could you can imagine somebody maybe pulling that off and maybe making a fun movie. But they should, he just is a whiny complainer the entire movie. And his wife is a, one of the most powerful people in the free world. So do you I, think I, Melania <laughs> was just quoting the movie when she said she didn't want to decorate <laughs> she really was like a, a first gentleman um anyway uh one more name question i think okay um any leonards in your life are you have you become friends with or close to or worked with anyone that's also named leonard well, when I was a kid, I fell under the spell of uh, the late Leonard Bernstein, who used to do uh, a, a series of television specials called um, uh, Music for Young People, where he sort of uh, uh, acted as your guide to classical music. Uh, and, uh, and he was so charming. And uh, so what a wonderful communicator uh, that I, you know, I, I always had great admiration and respect for him. And of course, his music endures, you know, that, that, that score for West Side Story is pretty damn great. Well, that's the thing is I feel like the people that love this new Spielberg West Side Story, um, you know, it's hard to say it's better or worse than the first one because the music's exactly the same. And the music is the, has always been the best thing about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not like Spielberg went in there and fixed the music. Like the music yeah. just stayed the same and is perfect. It's great. But I, the movie is odd to me because it's not, it's not shot by shot by any means. He like really spruces everything up, but it still feels you know, it's still very moment to moment. It, you know, it just reminds me of that Psycho remake that didn't work where they just, where Gus Van Zandt just shot the same, you know, yeah, everything exactly the same. Uh, it, it, it's just the, somehow that spark and magic's gone, but also a lot of it has to do with having seen the first one. Like, I think I'm hoping there's people out there that are loving this new West Side Story and it's, you know, it would encourage them to, you know, go back and look at a lot of the things that were great about the first one. Yeah, including, if I can do a callback, the credit sequence, which does occur at the end of the movie. Yes. Uh, in a, what was then a revolutionary <laughs> move, and it was created by the brilliant graphic designer and filmmaker Saul Bass. All, and- of, his, uh, all of his credit sequences are amazing. Like, I went to a, a tribute to, you know, a... a I think LACMA had like a, a thing set up that was a, a tribute to uh, opening title sequences. And then when you see all the ones that he's done and how uh, so many iconic ones. He was the master. Yes, he did Vertigo and North by Northwest and Psycho for Hitchcock and many, many others. Yeah. And like you said, uh, a very long involved sequence at the end of West Side Story that that is what they do in a lot of movies uh, these days. I just saw it the other day with, uh, you know, uh, whatever I saw the other day. But um, (laughs) Doug, have you have you seen either West Side Story? I am ashamed to say that I have not, but I feel like the new one coming out. I should. It's out, man. It's been out. Yeah nominated for uh, best picture do you have a horse in the best picture race leonard do you have a favorite or do you not i i don't put that out there this is not a year that inspired um 
uh, tremendous emotional attachment. I found uh, it's hard nice. for me to fill a ten best list. I mean, I would put Guillermo del Toro's uh, Nightmare Alley right up at the top uh, with enthusiasm, not with reluctance. But uh, uh, there's, there's, you know, not a lot that really got to me. And, and I'm afraid that uh, Drive My Car uh, just uh, left me, uh, if not cold, then lukewarm. Yeah, I uh, have been hearing much about how it's, you know, three hours subtitled. And well, I, I was never bored and I was never distracted. Uh, you know, I, I was with it for that, that entire length of time. <laughs> it uh, it just didn't speak to me. Yeah, I you know I feel that way about a couple of those uh, you know movies that managed to land in the best picture list this year that uh, you know that people rave about them in a way that if I bring up not really liking them it, it, you know just are you talking me. about perhaps Power of the Dog? <laughs> that's no, that's but that's another one that's very polarizing. I didn't love that movie, but I do kind of love ruminating on it afterwards you know like i it, it it you know it's one that i was kind of bored while i was watching it but now i you know thinking back on it is interesting to me mm-hmm. but i choose not yeah. to think back on it <laughs> <laughs> you're in the sam elliott camp sam elliott was really not happy with that movie <laughs> it's not at all no do you like um uh, well, are you, were you? Did you go into it a fan of Jane Campion? You must have, right? Well, I, I admire and respect her. Yeah, but um, just not this film. Yeah, it was. A, it was a really different experience, and it's interesting that it is being bandied about as like the uh, front runner. Um, what about Belfast? I I liked Belfast. Right, it's just solid. That's why. That's the problem with the Oscars, I think, is that it's just sort of the movie everybody can agree is not terrible, you know, or is not, you know, uh, uh, problematic. And, and yeah, well, I guess I guess they end up giving it to problematic movies, too. But I just mean like the movie that just is sort of the safest seems to win. But it's a yeah. kind of safe that doesn't reflect the what the public thinks. Like uh, you must be along with me and everybody else that's, you know, paid attention to the Oscars for many years, uh, just annoyed with this move by the Academy to just give a lot of the awards away and, and some pre-ceremony that, uh, you know, less people will watch. Yeah. I'm not thrilled with that uh, decision to put it mildly. Uh, yeah. You know, I grew up in New Jersey and, uh, so Oscar night was a school night, but my parents, you know, always understood my enthusiasm and mm -hmm. uh, allowed me to stay up late to watch the Oscars. It was a ritual, an annual ritual. And uh, so I had been, you know, sitting there watching them and um, for a long, long time. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, long, they're always long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes dull. They're always sometimes dull. <laughs> uh, there's... You know, there's no way that you can be giving an award to four guys who worked on the sound editing of a movie and make it colorful and interesting. It just is what it is. It, the, the problem is it, 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 they're they never willing to just admit that this is an industry event and not a television show. And, and it's a hybrid. And you cannot uh, feed both audiences uh, simultaneously and, and get a perfect result. And so, because it's, it's just funny when you just, it's just endless, the suggestions people make to like, the, well, the Oscars would be better if there was more clips from the movies and you know, the Oscars would be better if they got more famous, you know, movie stars to actually attend. And like, it's just after a while, there's so many different things people are suggesting that it's like, well, you just these all these changes can't happen so they either just have to do it the way they've been doing it i don't know why they don't just put it on streaming somewhere and everybody can watch it you know they can even watch it at their leisure they don't even have to watch it that night and i'm sure lots of eyeballs will 
land on it just because of certain things like everybody that's super into euphoria right now would watch because you know zendaya is probably going to be a presenter that kind of thing um but they're they, they, they're chasing after the ratings that they used to have back when people only had three channels to choose from and the other two stations would uh would lay down on oscar night not put on anything interesting back then back when i was growing up one of the attractions of, of the Oscar show was it was the only time during the year you would see the top level movie stars on TV. They didn't, mm, appear, yeah. they didn't appear on talk shows. They didn't do many series. Uh, you know, if you want to see uh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor or Audrey Hepburn or uh, Charlton Heston or Kirk Douglas or Burt Lancaster uh, or any, you know, the only way to see them was to watch them get a glimpse of them, at least on the Oscar show. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was really special. And that, that is another thing that's kind of ruined movie stars is the studios insisting they go on every talk show. Yeah. And so there's no such thing as the movie star mystique anymore. They can't just, you know, do the role and go off and hide and, you know, get the acclaim and maybe an award and an awkward speech later. Right. You know, they have to they have to get in. You know, it's even in their contracts now that they have to be involved in the marketing and tweet sure. about the movie and stuff. And 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 the inevitable host in, in those days was Bob Hope. <laughs> yeah, that was not a subject of debate. It was Bob Hope. Yeah. And he's a guy that was in movies. He was really a legit movie star mm -hmm. and very funny and quick on his feet. And like, uh, you know, that the. the it's another area they keep trying to break the mold. It's just like, get the guy that's most that of our time and you should, or woman, and you'll have a, a decent host, you know, like this thing they're doing now where they just get three people and split it up. And, you know, between all of them, they've maybe starred in, you know, a few movies, but yeah, it's not like yeah. they got some, they got some movie stars and some, I mean, they got TV stars and comedians to be the presenters at the biggest movie event in the world. Right. It's a lot of overthinking, I think. Yeah. My favorite <laughs> Bob Hope show uh, of all the years he hosted, and, and they've replayed this, this uh, clip more than once, was uh, the, the, uh, the ongoing joke was that Bob Hope would never win an Oscar himself. In spite of the fact that his films were at one time very popular, uh, uh, it was just not in the cards. And so he, he, one year he came out and he said, welcome to the Academy Awards, or as it's known at my house, Passover. <laughs> That's a great joke. <laughs> yeah. And he knew, uh, you know, he didn't know, knows exactly how to deliver it. It's just, yep. he's, he was, he was perfect, uh, perfect Oscar host. And then, you know, and of course, Johnny Carson hosted it a bunch of years and he yep. did a good job. And so that, that sort of has become a thing too, like with Kimmel, you know, like in, you know, who knows what other talk show hosts might get to do it at some point, but just an actual movie star. And the, the fact that Bob Hope was being, you know, invited to host the thing where he'd never probably get a nomination. Did you think he ever won a, um, you ever think they gave him an honorary one? Yes, they did. They gave him an honorary one in the early fifties. There you go. Oh, oh, that's, and that's early. Like, yeah, I think they gave him that award on the first year that it was a telecast. Oh, oh okay. wow. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, but can you think of what would be the closest by today's standards to an Oscar-nominated movie that he was in? Because he was in a few things that were, that weren't just straight up, you know, road to wherever with Big Crosby, right? Um, yeah, none of, I mean, I, I like a few of those movies, but uh, none of them really were, well, he made a film called The Facts of Life with Lucille Ball, where they both played it straight. And that was uh, quite a uh, uh, notable film for them in their career, in the context of their careers. Uh, I haven't revisited it in a long time, so I don't know how it holds up. But, uh, you know, he, he, was, he was good. He, Seven Little Foys, he's good. Yeah, that's the one that's sprung into my head. Like that just seems like a like it could be. Yeah, like you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could have gotten. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. some recognition there. I think it's funny that, you know, people really like to point out how comedic performances and actors don't get their due at the Oscars. Right. But, and, and it's, you know, there's some truth to that, but also, uh, when a comedic actor is really funny in a really good movie, it, it can still happen. Like it's not unheard of <laughs> and they can go all the way to the wind, you know, like a, like a uh, Richard Dreyfus or somebody like that. Yeah. Cause you can, you know, he's a good, like in the goodbye girl, you know, he's a good dramatic actor. There's even scenes that show him being an actor on stage and, you know, in the show, in the movie. And uh, uh, so he gets to have it all in, in that particular. Yeah. Uh, part. Did you see the SAG Awards when Michael Keaton won? No, I did not. First of all, he's in the bathroom. That old thing that happens once once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> when they did, when they finally got to his category, he wasn't around when they said his name. So he finally comes running in after Selma Hayek was like melting down because she she's literally standing there going, "I, I don't do this. I don't. I can't. I can't uh, ad lib." <laughs> <laughs> She's like, don't do this to me. It was was kind of uh, charming how she did not want to have to be in charge of, uh, you know, stretching until Michael Keaton made it to the stage. So he finally runs up to the stage, like rolls onto it, does this crazy somersault. But then partway through his speech, like gets very, very emotional. And, but, but early part of the speech was funny. And then, then, you know, and then he wrapped it up a little bit after they, you know, started playing the music and trying to get him off. And, um, but it just like showed me that like, it, you know, just showed that that one guy, he, he's a great dramatic actor and a great comedic actor. He is know? that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and you just see it just in, in a speech. He's just, his personality. He's yeah. got, he's got it all. And one um, of the great, one of the all time great movie entrances. In night shift, <laughs> uh, it's—I don't remember the name of his character, but it, it's a build-up to the uh, reveal of his character. And this is when he'd done a TV series and he'd been in a couple of films, but this was really his breakout, breakout role, breakout performance. And uh, Ron Howard directed it, and. Uh, boy, you know, never has a path been laid for a guy to uh, grab a movie and become a star overnight, essentially, as as he did there. Yeah, because you know, they uh, it's uh, Henry Winkler at the time was having trouble busting out of being Fonzie. Yes, and so he basically, and he's good at it, but he's basically the nevishy straight guy in this movie. And Michael Keaton gets to come in and be the Fonzie. He gets to have all the laughs. Yep, and gets to be the cool character that everybody loves. Um, but then, of course, Henry Winkler. He's just like, I'm so happy for his current career because you know he's so in demand and and so great. And uh, you know, and he's so great in Barry. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And just, and everyone's just like Fonzie who like it really, yeah. you, you don't see people getting to overcome something like that. They, they tend to go the other way. They tend to just have problems for the rest of their, um, when it's cool to see Michael Keaton's arc, like not that he ever went away or anything, but he is really just on such a surge right now. It's incredible. Yeah. And he was very, um, yeah, he was just very, he continued to work and, you know, a lot of movies that I didn't love. And then like there was that strange time when both Soderbergh and Tarantino both did, uh, you know, movies uh, that uh, had the same, you know, some of the same characters in them. And so, but Michael Keaton's in both, uh, both of their movies out of sight with Soderbergh and uh, Tarantino's Jackie Brown playing the same character. And it's a, a pretty pointless minor supporting role in both movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you feel like, well, in the other movies, probably got more to do. Nope, it's just kind of there's Michael Keaton <laughs> chewing gum and being an FBI guy and yeah. talking about the case and then leaving or whatever. Um, did you see the Netflix movie he did called Worth? I didn't, but he mentioned it in his uh, 
speech because he was, you know, he's talking about dope sick and, and you know, how serious the, that, the subject of that uh, series is. And uh, when he mentioned worth, uh, I, I wasn't familiar with, with what it was. It's good. It's really, really good. Huh. And I believe he, he may have produced it or, or been one of the people who helped it get made. And um, it's, it's a, it, he plays a, a real guy who was in a, a Washington uh, attorney who was given the task of assessing the reparations to be paid to victims of the uh, Twin Towers, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. And what is a life worth? And how do you, you know, and uh, it's, it's really well done. And, uh, and he, and he's great. He's just terrific in it. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I, people probably aren't that familiar with it. Cause that, that is, that is some heavy subject matter right there. In, indeed. But it's not a, it's <laughs> not a, it's not a depressing film. Uh, it may sound uh, disingenuous, but it's not. It, it, it's a really interesting, compelling movie. Well, speaking of interesting and compelling, you've been just that for the better part of an hour, Leonard Malton. Well, thank you. We would like to give you our Malton Madness Award. <laughs> 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 Malton Movie Madness Award. And uh, we'll be giving that out in uh, next year in San Luis Obispo. Okay. Um, have you, hey, weird question. Have you ever stayed at the Madonna Inn in San Luis Obispo? Yes, but not in many years. <laughs> but it was fun, right? Oh, it was neat. Uh, and we, <laughs> and, and, and uh, my wife and I got to meet Alex Madonna. <gasps> That's cool. Um, quite the character. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I've been, you know, I've, I've gone to San Luis Obispo and, you know, in Cal here in California a few times, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, work reasons, you know, do stand up and stuff. And I've, you know, driven through there a bunch of times and uh, I've always been fascinated by the Madonna Inn and it being one of those hotels that every room is different and has very, uh, you know, uh, kitschy or uh, tacky, depending on you know uh, how, how you describe it. Called Chestnut Foal, which was uh, equine uh, themed. Uh, yeah, people have told me about that. There's like a horse in the room that you can sit on. What? <laughs> That's not the one we got. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not a you know, it's not a full size. You know, it's like there's this weird like piece of furniture that's like a horse that you can you, you know you can actually <laughs> sit on it if you want to but uh yeah and i just uh, i just started getting into researching it because i now have decided i definitely want to go stay there just as uh, it seems like it'd be a fun uh a fun thing to do and i and i realized that a a worldly californian such as yourself has probably been there and, and you have to visit the men's room while you're there in the restaurant. That's what everybody says. The restaurant men's room, Doug, you pee into a fountain. <laughs> what? Well, like, more of like, a trough than a fountain. But. Yeah, like, like, but it's, it's splashy, I hear. <laughs> 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 like, it's the one bathroom you definitely want to have your shoes on uh, when you go in there. I don't know. Maybe other bathrooms, too. I mean, but, you know, <laughs> all bathrooms, you should have your shoes on, but I'm just saying this one. Yeah, yeah. And maybe boots. Um, Leonard Malton, what would you like to uh, promote here at the end of the show? Like, where can people check out your, you're still, you're writing movie reviews? Uh, I am uh, occasionally posting movie reviews on my website, which is leonardmalton.com. I do uh, film book surveys and... Uh, classic film DVD and Blu-ray surveys uh, as often as possible. And uh, my daughter and I host a podcast every, we post every Friday an hour conversation with some interesting person. Uh, and that's uh, Malton on movies. And you can get it anywhere you get your, your podcasts. And uh, that, that's the uh, thing I think I'd like to plug. 
I love that plug. And I, yeah. of course, uh, know your daughter, Jesse, who recently had a uh, beautiful baby. So congratulations on that. Well, that's my that, that's uh, changed my life and my wife's life, changed our lives for the better. We are now proud, uh, borderline obnoxious grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. Four month old granddaughter. That is so fun. And um, how crazy did uh, Jesse go with the names for her daughter? No, no, no. It, it's a very, it, it's a lovely name. Lovely old <laughs> Daisy. I love that name. That's great. And but what about the middle name? Um, I've just had a brain blip. Oh, because uh, I'm hoping it's Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> that or I know molted, molted. <laughs> that I know it's not. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for being here and uh, and talking names with us. And uh, Doug Millard, what, what what's going on with you? Do you have anything you want to plug? I'm actually going to be at a different film festival this weekend. Ooh. Uh, Gasparilla International Film Festival in Tampa. Uh, for our film, The Disappearance of Toby Blackwood, I helped make with my pals Dan Riddle and Joseph Ahern. And we'll be screen- there'll be a screening March 12th at 9.15 at the AMC West Shore. So if you're in the area, come on now. Now, just from the name alone, uh, Leonard, what, what, how many stars would you give it? The, the Disappearance of Toby Blackwood. Well, first I have to find out if I care that he disappeared. Mm, I, I feel like based on the part I play in it, that he, you, that the viewer would not care that he disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that to you. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, like I said, uh, the cold open before the credits of our show today, that um, I'm going to be doing Douglas movies twice at South by Southwest this year in Austin, Texas. And we're doing a first ever live audience episode of this show wide world of Doug's and uh, you know, Douglas and Douglas movies on Twitter and wide world zero Doug's also on Twitter are places you can go for updates on all my things. Uh, every episode we end with a sort of a pun or something that uh, we use as the uh, title of the episode. And since you uh, have had such a great career as a film critic, that's how I decided what to go with. Thanks again. As always, on a scale of one to four dugs. Got it.